1: Brittany and I
0: are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis,
1: or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Today, we're going to talk about the role that
0: hormonal suppression plays in endometriosis. Now, hormonal suppression refers to all medical therapies such as oral contraceptive pills, Mirena IUD, Danagest or Vizan, GnRH analogs like Lupron or Lysazolidex, and much more. And actually, in the next episode, we're going to go into detail about the different hormonal suppression options that are available. So the different oral contraceptive pills, progesterones, GnRH analogs, and we'll go into more detail then about each one. But today we're going to do a bird's eye overview of hormonal suppression because there are a lot of myths and misinformation around hormonal suppression. And we want to go over today what it can do and what it can't do so that we can empower ourselves to make fully
1: informed decisions about our endometriosis treatment. We want to give you a pre-summary of our episode right now. It's like a sneak peek, but a summary of the episode. It's like a too-long-didn't-listen. Yeah, too-long-didn't-read. It's like too if long you're going to click
0: off in the next five minutes, we want you to hear this really important Yes, at least bunch. stay
1: for what I'm about to say. <laughs> we'll tell you when you can click off. So the too-long-didn't-listen is, Hormonal medication for endometriosis may help your symptoms. May, not may. will. We say may because it doesn't actually help everybody. That's sad. And in fact... Some people find that using hormones are actually intolerable and they feel worse while they're using them. I know that was true for me. And me. Also, most people find that once they stop their hormones, any of the pain or symptoms that may have been relieved by them tend to typically return quite quickly. And on top of that, hormonal medications can't remove any of the endometriosis that you have. Endometriosis can still progress while you're taking hormones. Endometriosis can still recur post-surgery, even if you're taking hormones. Hormonal suppression is for symptom management only. But it doesn't treat or diagnose the disease, and it's not guaranteed to alleviate your symptoms.
0: All right, so now if you want to click off and be like, "Oh, I don't want to listen to this episode, we'll miss you, but... But you got the
1: important part, You got the important news (laughs) that
0: we wanted to share. We're going to spend the next hour breaking that information down. We want to share a quote to start the episode from the research article, which is called Hormonal Therapy in Women of Reproductive Age with Endometriosis, an update. This is a 2019 article from San Galatenu AA and Georgiou ML. And to quote from their article, they say, quote, Although the scientific community is trying to find an algorithm of treatment for endometriosis that can be universally applied, to date, there is no ideal drug that can prevent, inhibit, or stop the development of endometriosis. Almost all of the currently available treatment options for endometriosis suppress ovarian function and are not curative. End quote. So we wanted to pull on that quote from that recent research article just to back up what Brittany just said about how you know there is no ideal drug that can prevent inhibit or stop the development stop the progression of endometriosis and it's really good to see that in a research article because many of our doctors are not informed about this and they have this misinformation that X hormone or X medication. If you take it post surgery, to prevent your endometriosis from recurring, or if you take X medication, it will clean up your endometriosis after surgery. It will clean up any endometriosis that was left behind in an incomplete surgery. And so, our doctors, many doctors, have misinformation around what hormones can do, and this is detrimental to us, the patients. And you can find the link to that research article that we just quoted from, as well as many links for all of the research done for this episode and all of our episodes on our
1: website, which is in16years.com. Amy and I also think that it's important to note that we're not anti-hormones or anti-medication at all. Oh, we're not? I thought we were. Seeing as we both take hormones, we can't actually be anti-hormones. Oh,
0: okay. You're right. I love my
1: hormones. Yeah, I love mine too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we both take progesterone, so we're very pro-hormones when they're needed. I take mine for PCOS, and Amy takes hers for perimenopause symptoms. So as a result, we do believe that there's a place for hormones in endometriosis treatment, which is symptom management. And we're going to be talking further in depth about that today. Very in depth. Yes. Symptom management, not disease treatment. Symptom management. Mm. So we support you and whatever choices that you make for your own body, but we want to make sure that it's an informed choice that we're always making about what we put in our body and that we understand what we're putting in our body's purpose and what it's supposed to do and what it can and cannot do. We want to make sure that whatever we're taking, we have a full understanding and are fully educated about the medication or the drug. I think it's two
0: people who have totally been burned by their doctors. (laughs) Maybe probably not on purpose,
1: but... But enough times that I'm starting to wonder. (laughs) Yeah, we got like, ouch, that burns. Yeah,
0: You know, it's two people who have been told with various medications, oh, there are no side effects or been overpromised what the medication can do that actually cannot do what the doctor said it could do. We are just on this mission to help others understand what medications for endometriosis, in this episode we're going to focus on hormones, what they can and cannot do for endo. Because they can do things, potentially help the symptoms, and they cannot do a lot of things that doctors tell us that they can do because these doctors are misinformed. And that's frustrating. That is really, really frustrating that we are not getting Accurate information that we need from the person prescribing these medications. Like, that's just mind boggling to me, isn't it? (laughs) Before we jump in, we just want to remind you that if this episode is helpful, please share this episode on social media. Please rate or review our podcast in your podcast app. And if you'd like to support us financially, you can buy us a coffee on our website in 16years.com. We put a lot of work into these episodes. And our main goal is to get the information out there to empower our community. So we would love if you would help us in that regard by sharing this information and then rating our podcast in your podcast app because it'll help others know that that our podcast is valuable and worth their time. All right,
1: let's start with a question, Amy. I hope it's about hormones. Oh, it is. (laughs) (laughs) It's topical. You ready? Can hormones diagnose endometriosis? No, Brittany, they can't. Really? Who told you that they could? My doctor. <laughs> we laugh, but it's painful.
0: <laughs> no, Brittany. Hormones cannot diagnose endometriosis. Specifically, Lupron cannot diagnose endometriosis. And this is a common misinformation that doctors have, but we know that the only way to have a confirmed diagnosis of endometriosis is surgery with a pathology report. Doctors can suspect that we have endometriosis based on our symptoms, but if they suspect you have endo and then they give you a drug like Lupron and then you respond well to Lupron as in you take Lupron and your symptoms reduce, you know, your pain goes down, your pain goes away, this is not a confirmation that you have endometriosis because what Lupron does is it puts you in a low estrogen state. It basically puts you into medical menopause. and going into a low estrogen state, there are various reasons why it could reduce your pain for whatever you're suffering. So just because you see improvement in your symptoms on a medication does not confirm that you have endometriosis. Now, let me ask you the question, Brittany. Okay. Can hormones diagnose endometriosis? No.
1: I learned. If only my doctors would too.
0: All right, my turn.
1: Can hormones remove or shrink existing endometriosis lesions? You might be surprised by this answer, but it's a no. (gasps) It's a no. It's a no, 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 no. Batman. It's a no. It's a no. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Hormones cannot remove or shrink existing growths. We talked about this in the long saga that we did on Lupron. The long saga. (laughs) Because Lupron Marketing claims that it can reduce lesion size. Huh. But Dr. David Redwine pointed out in his 300-page report to the FDA, which is called Luprolide, the D is silent. So it sounds like Luprolide. Yeah, we love a good pun. And
0: Luprolide is the name of Lupron. Lupron yes. is the
1: brand, and Luprolide is the generic. In Luprolide, the D is silent, which is the 300-page report he composed. After analyzing the data on Lupron, he pointed out that the study done to show that Lupron reduces lesion size was flawed because of a lack of specificity and the timing of the study. So to give a quick summary of what this means and what he's saying. Yes, please do. Is that basically the study did laparoscopies on the patients to look at the endo before using Lupron and within a month after completing the treatment. They use the Revised American Fertility Society Classification System, the 1-4 through staging system. And there's a lot of problems with the staging system, as we've talked about, and it's been criticized for being very arbitrary in the points assignment, also putting a greater focus on scar tissue, not being easily replicated between one surgeon, because they might stage you at a 1, another one might stage you at a 2. Yet this is the staging system that was used to compare the before and after treatment results. It's also been shown in studies that some endo can temporarily appear smaller or like they've regressed while a person is on the medication. To quote Dr. Redwine in his report, he says, quote, It has been shown that the visual appearance of endometriosis at the end of GnRH agonist therapy may seem improved, while three months later, it can seem worse. This indicates that some of the visual changes associated with endometriosis, such as adjacent capillary bleeding, inflammation, and swelling may regress during treatment. However, once the drug wears off, the disease becomes more active once again, and the surrounding visual changes can recur. All of this happens without anything being done to the endometriosis itself, end quote.
0: Well, there you have it, people, from the mouth or the written word of Dr. Redwine (laughs) himself. Expert excision surgeon and world-renowned expert in endometriosis.
1: Dr. Redwine also references a study here with a name that pretty much tells you what the study entails, which is always helpful. So it's a 1987 study by J.L. Evers called, quote, The second look laparoscopy for evaluation of the result of medical treatment of endometriosis should not be performed during ovarian suppression, end quote.
0: Oh, so when they do the second look, it should not be performed during ovarian suppression.
1: Like Correct. when a person is taking Lupron or just finished taking Lupron. Correct. It's, oh. it's like the idea of if I like get, you know, hit with a a baseball in the head. I don't know why I picked that. Oh, wow. But you know where you get like a bump or like Where's an abrasion? Where's going with this? Or, like when you get bumped on something and you put ice on it, the swelling reduces, right? So if I were to look at it after I put the ice on it and go, oh, the swelling's down, it's getting better. But then I take the ice away, and an hour later, the swelling is what? Right back to where it was, or actually even worse. So it's the same kind of concept. When you're suppressing something with a medication, or in this case, what I'm talking about is an ice pack, it's going to look different than if you were to not do that. So in this analogy, Lupron is the ice pack. Yes. So if you're ice packing your endometriosis lesions,
0: (laughs) and then you look at them through a laparoscopy, and you're like, oh, they they're, look better. Oh, they're all small and cute. Did they mention cute no, in the study? No, they all like? Oh, they're so <laughs> they're adorable. They're cutesy, weensy babies. Oh,
1: the little cutie-wooties. And then you look a month later like, oh, <laughs> that's they're horrible. monsters. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of what he's saying. <laughs> and in that study by J.L. Evers, by the way, they state that performing a post-treatment laparoscopy within one month of completion of therapy will produce misleading results. They just flat out state it.
0: Well, yeah, that's why the title is called. It was the best title ever. I'm so appreciative. (laughs) Second look laparoscopy for evaluation of the result of medical treatment of endometriosis should not be performed during ovarian suppression. That's right there in the name. (laughs) I heard you say temporarily appear like they've regressed. While the person is on the medication. I did say that, yes. okay. Because what happens is that hormones can induce a a quieted state of endometriosis, which can provide symptom relief. But endo still remains. It can still progress. And it can still recur
1: post-surgery. So the hormones are just like, shh, be quiet. They're all hiding. It's like (laughs) a surprise party that nobody ever actually wanted. So they're all hiding in the closet. They're so all in the dark,
0: them. but they're still, they're still, still there. <laughs> there. Exactly. <laughs> Just turn the lights
1: off. You can't. It's like see invisible them. ink. Even if you don't have the right light on it, it's still there. <laughs> That's endo. And also something really important that we wanted to point out about drugs like Lupron and Orlissa is that that GnRH drugs actually affect only the hypothalamo pituitary gonadal axis. I know, but wait,
0: we'll get we'll get there. <laughs> wait, the HPG axis. Yes,
1: correct. The axis that your
0: brain talks to your your brain and your ovaries talk to each other on this axis. That's They're all the like, one. That's the pathway. Axis or is it access? Axis? axis. I never say it right. Axis. The ovaries are all like, hey, what's going on up there? And the hypothalamus and pituitary like,
1: <laughs> yeah, make the hormones.
0: And the ovaries like. Uh, should I make the
1: hormones? Right. And then they're like, I need to be told what to do, please. <laughs> yeah, you need to make the hormones. we are like, are you sure I should make the
0: hormones? Yeah, you should make the hormones. <laughs> and they just go back and forth all day long. And it's like, someone just make the hormones already.
1: <laughs> That's the problem. Nobody's making them. But yeah, the the names tell you the hypothalamo, so hypothalamus, pituitary, and gonadal. So we have all three of those components in there. But the GnRH drugs don't affect the extra glandular sites of estrogen biosynthesis. The who? Amy, come on, get with the program. We know that estrogen isn't only made in the ovaries. News to me. No, it's not. Oh. (laughs) Well, then I forgot, Brittany. Well, now you've remembered, Amy. No, we haven't. Just (laughs) tell me where it's made. (laughs) Well, some of those extra glandular sites are things like your adipose tissue, your skin, and wait for it. Are you ready? Waiting. Endometriotic lesions.
0: (gasps) I know! Estrogen. Yes, they can. So even if you go into a low estrogen state, endolesions can make their own estrogen because they want that exactly. estrogen. They're like, They're we little want.
1: factories and they're just going to recycle it over and over and over to themselves. They're like, we want
0: the estrogen. And we're going to get it. And the ovaries are all like, should I make the estrogen? And the hypothalamus pituitary when you're on Lupron or list are like, don't make the estrogen. And the ovaries are like, can I make the estrogen? They're like, don't make the estrogen. <laughs> Like, can I make the estrogen? Like, don't make the estrogen. But and then the eyes are And the skin <laughs> and the endometriotic lesions let are us, like, we're
1: us. making it. Oh. Ha. You can't stop us. Exactly. Yeah. We're going to make it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to get in my way of making estrogen. You're like, nothing like <laughs> <be> oh, nothing does. <laughs> I want to be you. Oh, I want to make estrogen. I'm sad. Too bad. You're cut off.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> harsh. Very harsh. So we want to do a little bit more myth-busting right now that doctors cannot use hormones, especially Lupron. And we keep saying Lupron, but it's just because doctors have been… That's the one they love to say. And they've been fed a lot of misinformation about Lupron. And Lupron is one of the, like, main go-to drugs for endometriosis, at least here in the United States. Doctors cannot use hormones, including Lupron, to clean up endometriosis. Oh, you got a little bit of endometriosis in there. Go get your spray. Get the good paper towels, the really absorbent ones.
1: Swipe, swipe, swipe.
0: Clean it up. Hormones cannot dry up endometriosis
1: either. And they cannot remove existing growths after surgery. That's all one big, giant, messy, bloody endometriotic myth.
0: (laughs) Okay. So if your doctor is like, Oh, well, we'll get the endometriosis that we can, but then don't worry. We're just going to clean it up after with Lupron.
1: Eh. <laughs> Red flag. Ouchie. <laughs> yeah, that's what you'd be saying if that's what your doctor told you.
0: <laughs> Ouchie, you're wrong. <laughs> you'd be like, that's why I still have my ouchies, because you didn't remove
1: it in the first place. Because you didn't take it out, and that's not what Lupron does, bucko. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Also, we have another study along the same lines that we want to break down on Zolodex and the whole, it can shrink endometriosis lesions, claims that these drugs love to make. First, we want to thank Kate from Endo Girls blog for digging up this study, for reading it, and then for explaining the flawed methodology in it. Kate has put a really great post on our Instagram that I'm going to link in the show notes. And if you don't know Kate, she is a board certified patient advocate and she has a wealth of information on endometriosis on her website and on Instagram. So definitely recommend you give her a follow. And actually, we have an episode coming up with Kate on the endometriosis guidelines and how they are made. So stay tuned for that. So I spoke with Kate and I asked her if we could put her analysis of that study in this episode. And she said definitely yes. So what she found was a study called an Open Randomized Comparative Study of the Effect of goserelin depot and Danosol in the Treatment of Endometriosis, and this is by Shaw R.W. from 1992 in Fertility and Sterility. And I want to point out that goserelin depot is Zolidex. So this study was done in 249 patients. 175 received Zolidex, and 74 received Danosol. The patients had before and after surgeries to grade their endometriosis against the ASRM scoring system.
1: Oh, so you mean the one we just talked about in the Lupron study? The outdated one that's been criticized for being arbitrary in the point system and not easily replicable among surgeons who could put the same exact endo at different points and stages because of its arbitrary nature? (sighs) That one? Yep. The one that doesn't even include extra pelvic endo, which is not rare? Yep. You mean that one? Yep. Oh, okay. Well, what they did in this study was they measured the
0: diameter of the visible lesions, of visible endometriosis lesions in the surgeries, before and after surgery. And they added those measurements up. And anyone whose lesions had quote unquote shrunk by
1: 50% or more were considered responders to Zolidex. Oh, so they measured lesions, which we know that while taking GnRH drugs, the visual appearance of the lesions can change since adjacent capillary bleeding, inflammation, and swelling may regress during treatment. Yep. Well, that seems like a silly thing to do. No one's surprised. <laughs> okay, well, I feel like
0: way back then in 1992, so long ago... <laughs> 30 years ago. (laughs) 30 years (laughs) ago. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I feel like they didn't know what the drug does. I feel like they didn't know that it just caused these temporary visual
1: changes in the
0: appearance. Like they're doing these studies and they thought, like, well, we'll allow it then. It was 30 years ago. I think they probably, they truly thought that they were doing this like revolutionary, Mm -hmm. oh,
1: this drug is resolving the endometriosis 30 years ago. How sad that they were (laughs) so wrong. Like, that's actually kind of (laughs) sad. I mean, talk about the need to update studies Um, and not be using ones from 30 years ago.
0: It's just funny because it's like, oh, we say that this reduces lesion size from this study. And
1: then it's like, no further studies are done. (laughs) Even though we learn new information, we're not going to update that study. We're not going to try again because we already proved it once. That's good enough, right? Well, I feel like they
0: would never do the study again because with the knowledge that we have now 30 years later, it's more obvious, I think, that the methodologies would not hold up. Like back then, it, I feel like it was like, oh, revolutionary. Whoa, well, we measured the diameter of the lesions and some of them, quote unquote, got smaller. You know what I think is really funny, though, is that when you think about Orlissa, which is a GnRH antagonist. And so, mind you, that is different than a GnRH agonist because Zolidex and Lupron are GnRH agonists. They work differently on the receptor, on the GnRH receptor. So they both put you into medical menopause, but the way they work is a little bit differently. So it's not like quite the same, but I do think it is funny that with Orlissa, they didn't even try to make claims like this shrinks endometriosis. They just focused on this is for endometriosis associated pain. Like with Orlissa, there are no claims about how Oh, if you take this drug, it will shrink dry your, right off. It will shrink your lesions. I'm sure there's doctors out there saying that because they're assuming that because that's what they were told about Lupron. But I just think it's funny that like AbV didn't try to make those claims because the methodology in these studies is flawed. <laughs> so anyways, the conclusion of this 1992 study on Zoldadex was, are you ready? Quote, the monthly administered 3.6 milligram depot preparation of gocerillin, which is Zolodex, was highly effective at inducing resolution of endometriotic deposits, end quote. Which might be like, woo! Resolution of endometriotic deposits! But then when you look at the flawed methodology, it's like, um... No, but it's like, come on. All you did was look at the diameter of the lesions at the surface level. They didn't know the depth of the lesions. We know that endometriosis lesions have depth. That's why ablation and the burning of the surface of the lesion doesn't remove the lesion. And persistence and recurrence rates are very high with ablation. Because even with superficial endometriosis,
1: the lesions can be into the tissue. Also, just like Dr. Redwine pointed out in the similar study done on Lupron, it's not just the lack of specificity in the study. It's the timing. The timing. Come on. Come on. Operate on these patients in a year's time and tell me what permanent effect Zoladex had on their lesions. Do it. I double dog dare you. I triple dog dare <laughs> you. Do it. I want them to do it now. Because <laughs> it's like big whoop. Some of my lesions temporarily got smaller while I was on the medication. And some months from now, how are my lesions looking then? Are they resolved like you state they are? No. No. N-O. Niet. No. nine, Non. No. 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 I also wonder who did these studies, because we know that endo can be very hard for the untrained eye to spot, so if they got subtler looking in appearance, then it's likely that some were missed. Even though they were still there, they became invisible. No, Brittany, they weren't invisible. They were resolved.
0: Oh, hello. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, i was complete resolution so of the endometriotic
1: lesion. Silly, untrained, unscientist me. How very dear I. What were you thinking? It wasn't clearly. <laughs> they should have taken biopsies. Yes! After. yes! That's what they should have done. <laughs> they should have taken a picture. Yes! And marked it in the picture in all the places where they found the endo before they started the treatment. Done biopsies, then they could start the GNRH treatment. Then going back and repeating the first part of the process, the surgery again to identify all of the places where they think to the check endo is. how the GNRH drug did. How'd you do? Let us see. Instead of playing I spy, I spy with my little eye, maybe some endometriosis. I spy with my little eye, some reduced
0: endometriosis, and there's some spots where there is no endometriosis.
1: Then they should have re-biopsied to make sure that the endo was actually gone. Biopsy, baby. <laughs> oh, my gosh. they could No, but they should have
0: taken a picture and they could use, like you said. As a map. A, yeah, like a mm-hmm. little treasure map. Like they go on a little treasure hunt for the endometriosis. And they're like, oh, hmm, looks like there was prior to the medication a lesion, I don't know, three centimeters from the left uterosacral sacral ligament. And then they go in and they're like, hmm, I spy with my little eye, but it's no longer there. Get your, I don't know what they take a biopsy with, scissors or your, <laughs> your biopsy machine. Yank out that tissue gently.
1: Slice it off. Put biopsier. it under a microscope well, and look at let us
0: see. Is endometriosis still there or not? Well, another thing I think about is how much laparoscopic technology has improved in the last 30 years. That more endometriosis can be visualized today. So I would be very interested to see this similar study happening in today's time with expert surgeons, with the advanced laparoscopic technology that we have, and not just doing a second look laparoscopy after the treatment is done. Okay, yeah, do do one, do a before, do one after, use the map, use our little treasure map, but also do a second look surgery a year later. And I understand that they don't want to put patients under like you know because in order to a surgery like you have to do an operation so it's really hard to get this kind of data i think but it's the kind of data that we need if we want to make these sweeping claims about how medication shrinks endometriosis like that is not a light claim and people are Using these medications and going through intolerable side effects because they've been promised that the medication will do something that the medication can't. So, this is very serious, and it's very serious to have studies that don't have flawed methodology to corroborate the claims that a drug is making. As Kate said in her post on the methodology, instead of concluding in the study that some of the endolesions were resolved, which are big, bold claims, They should have said something like both treatments, so both the Zolidex and the Danosol, because they had very similar outcomes in the patient. They should have said something like both treatments reduce the measured diameter of the surface of lesions by approximately 50% in some patients, but the depth of the lesions was not accounted for, and therefore it is unknown if the deposit resolved.
1: Feels much more accurate. Boom!
0: And I forgot to mention this, but Dr. Redwine said in his analysis of the Lupron study that the makers of Lupron indicated that they didn't know what benefit there is to having a reduction in the ASRM score. So as we said, like in these studies, they're looking at the staging system and the ASRM score and the points. But in the Lupron study, the maker outright said, like, okay, well, we don't know. Why does it
1: matter? I do not yeah. know. <laughs> okay. I didn't bother to find out. Well,
0: the lesions, you know, the ASRM points went down in some people. but, But, yeah, the maker said they don't even know the benefit of reduction of a score. So it's like, why are we aiming to reduce the score? We don't even know what that's going to do for the patient. Ooh, big whoop. My endometriosis points on an outdated, useless, arbitrary staging system went down. But I still have endo. And in most cases, my pain is still coming back, if it even went away at all, after I go off the medication. I feel like in our excitement, we bounced around a lot about that study. So can you clarify? When did they do the second look laparoscopy in the Zoladex study? to see the treatment effects on the lesions within five weeks of the end of treatment. Okay, so we discussed that the J.L. Evers study stated that performing a post-treatment laparoscopy within one month of completion of therapy will produce misleading results. And the Zoladex study had the second look laparoscopy within five weeks after And the Lupron study had the second look laparoscopy within one month after. (laughs) So basically in the time period that the study said
1: that you shouldn't do it. Don't
0: do the laparoscopy because it will produce misleading results. Yeah,
1: "Yeah, we're going to not listen to that. And I'm going to (laughs) scream how infuriating that is. Well, they probably didn't know. No, but still I'm going to scream how infuriating that is. (laughs)
0: And the other thing I want to go back to is you had said how different surgeons, different levels of experience, which may result in different ways of applying the ASRM system, the staging system, are overlooking subtle disease. Well, (laughs) for the Zolodex study, there were 18 centers (gasps) involved throughout Europe in the study. I'm clutching my pearls. (laughs) So that's different doctors at 18 different centers. So the good thing is that the study said that usually, not always, but usually, the follow-up laparoscopy was performed by the same clinician who did the initial first look laparoscopy.
1: I'm sorry. I don't even know where to start, but I'm still stuck on the 18 different centers with different standards and different doctors, different levels of experience, and sometimes different clinicians doing the (laughs) follow-up. I'm aghast, agog, (laughs) shook, shaken, Horrified.
0: All right. First, I will say that the study specifically said that everyone used standardized methods.
1: <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, sure. There is a standard method to experience level. Hmm. Oh, uh, but I mean, that's the thing. Is that as
0: Dr. Redwine pointed out, the specificity of using the staging system. You know, you would think it would be objective, but tis not. Yeah, it's not, and it's very. It's not easily replicated between doctors. So, Especially if you have one do
1: it the first time and a different one do it the second time. <laughs> I mean, they said usually. Okay, but still, I'm not going to take a vague usually. Is I that know. 50-50? Is that 20-80? I, I, I don't know.
0: So apparently, multi-center clinical trials are normal, and there are several benefits to them. But I feel like in this case, as we know with endometriosis, the surgeon's well-trained eye really does matter when it comes to identifying endometriosis. And so in the Lupron trial and the looking at the second look surgeries to see if they reduce the lesions, guess how many centers were involved?
1: I almost don't want to know at this point. <laughs> 22. Okay. Yeah, I really didn't want to know. I really didn't want to People are using this research to prove things. I really just don't want to think about it. <laughs>
0: Oh, it would—it's just—it would be so funny if it wasn't so horrifying, sad because yeah. it's affecting treatment, our lives.
1: Mm-hmm. We also want to chat for a minute on some small studies where a few dozen people take hormonal suppression, such as progestins or oral contraceptive pills, for six to twelve months, and then their endometrioma size or deep infiltrating endometriosis nodule is monitored via ultrasound or MRI. A few of these studies, not all, have shown that the endometriomas that were being monitored reduced in volume. I know it seems like, oh, wow, but. Yeah, I'm over here like, oh, wow. Hold your horses. Ooh, hold reduced your horses. In <laughs> yes, hold them. Oh, I can't hold them. Hold them. <laughs> hold them. Oh, I wish I brought a saddle. <laughs>
0: Well, first... We're galloping through the horizon. I'm going to like, make them Woo! slow to a canter, okay? Woo! It had a reduction <laughs> volume. Woo!
1: <laughs> wait, 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 horsies. First, those were small studies. And those small studies had conflicting results with other studies. Uh-oh. The conflicting the results. The horses are, are pulling up, yes. The horses are all bumping into e- each other like bumper, bumper cars. Bumper horses. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> These four
1: left. horses, leave them alone. <laughs> No real horses were harmed in the making of this joke. (laughs) So while some studies showed a volume reduction, others actually didn't. And additionally, any reduction in lesion volume is not predictable and not significant in the vast majority of cases. Not significant. Yeah. I'm just going to repeat the important words. And that isn't our conclusion. It isn't? Rather, it was a statement. From a 2021 research article that looked over dozens. A a recent
0: research article. And it
1: looked over dozens of papers on oral contraceptive pills and progestins. The article is endometriosis and medical therapy from progesterones to progesterone resistance to GnRH antagonists. A review by Jacques Donnet and Marie-Madeleine Doma. And we put that in our show notes.
0: Well, first, I want to go back through. You said not significant. (laughs) And not predictable. And another thing is that a reduction in size to an endometrioma is likely due to a change in density of the endometrioma components or a slow leakage of the chocolate fluid. So, like, we know that endometriomas are filled with fluid. That's why they're also called chocolate cysts. So they're filled with, like, old blood and debris and stuff. Oh, not chocolate milk?
1: (laughs) Darn. How do they make chocolate milk then? They said it wasn't the brown cows. Now it's not the chocolate cysts. Where is the chocolate milk coming from?
0: (laughs) And as we know, various studies have shown that endometriomas are rarely found by themselves, right? So when a person has an endometrioma, typically that person has more areas of endometriosis involved. So, you know, in the overall grand scheme of things, it's like, oh, okay, maybe this person's on a medication and there was a slight non-significant decrease in volume well, that doesn't change the rest of your endometriosis. That doesn't change the severity of your endo. And I just want to point out, it's not like endometriomas go away. Like it's not you take the medication, you're like, oh my God, now it's just like totally gone. Ooh, it just got sucked up in the straw with the chocolate milk. Ooh. First it <laughs> sucked up all the chocolate fluid and then it just like sucked up the endometrioma, like the cyst skin. Like it was like a That's nasty. It was like a when there's just like chocolate powder that Congealed inside of your chocolate milk, and you're just like, pow, pow,
1: pow, pow. Oh, Like when you leave milk hot chocolate out, and it gets that skin on the top. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: your endometrioma.
1: <laughs> <set>. <laughs> you know, so
0: that's why we're holding our bumper horses, because <laughs> your endometrioma is still there. Your endometriosis is still there, waiting to be removed by excision. Not to mention that the measurement of an endometrioma on an ultrasound is operator dependent. So for example, two different people could measure the same endometrioma and come up with slightly different numbers. So as they're measuring these endometriomas over time, if the measurements differ by a centimeter or two, it could look like the endometrioma shrank or grew, but in reality perhaps the size was the same. So the exact measurement really does depend on the operator. And Brittany and I wanted to bring that up because we think it's really important to talk about these studies and the flaws in these studies and the conclusions and viewpoints of other independent researchers about these studies. Because, you know, studies like these are often used to say these bold, untrue claims like, oh, look at this, hormones shrink, endometriosis lesions, so take them to treat your disease. You don't need excision because this medication will do the same thing as excision. And that is just so misleading. And that's why you want to talk about more of the background information behind these false claims and these false conclusions. And I also think that there's a lot of assumptions around hormonal treatment that snake their way into how endometriosis is being addressed by doctors. Now we've changed animals, Brittany. We've gone from the horse to the snake. (laughs) So to give an example of this, on endometriosis.org, on their treatment page about progestins, it says –
1: it's really good weight. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure I'm ready with that laugh. (laughs) It says – it says – Oh. Thank you. Trying to copy my snake sound.
0: Yeah. Go ahead and hold the horses again. This is a really good one. Okay. Pull up horses. (laughs) So here's a great assumption about how hormones work. And it says, quote, It is not yet fully understood how progestins relieve the symptoms of endometriosis, but they probably work by suppressing – Oh, wait. Can I read it in a voice? Let me start over. Of course you can. Okay. It's not yet fully understood how progestins relieve the symptoms of endometriosis, But they probably work by suppressing the growth of endometrial implants in some way, causing them to gradually waste away. End quote.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That makes me want to rip my hair out. It was even better when I read it the second time. Okay, first of all, I'm incensed because that is an assumption. That is not a fact. That is not based in any data or science. That is just an assumption. I know. That's why I said there's a lot of assumptions with the and hormone medication. You know what assuming does? <laughs> Make something out of you, not me, because I don't assume. Ooh,
0: I did not know that, but thank you.
1: <laughs> Do you know? Oh the my phrase? gosh! Yes, and look,
0: the word that Brittany won't say is this other word for donkey.
1: <laughs> yes. My gosh, there's so that many the animals <laughs> right now. I hope everyone knows the phrase I'm talking about. <laughs> So we know that endo does not waste away with progestins. So that's just a no. Flat out no, you're done. You're out of here. Leave. No one wants you here anymore. It does not waste Doesn't away. Doesn't do that. Plus, I also
0: hate that language Or where th- sorry. It does not waste away with progestins or any
1: hormones whatsoever. whatsoever. Yeah, it just does not actually waste away, period. That's (laughs) not how endometriosis works. We wish it would waste away. Yeah, great. I just
0: want to, like, hey,
1: could you please waste away? All that wastes away is my social life. All that wastes away is my soul. All that wastes away is all of my bodily fluids. (laughs) (laughs) I also really hate that language where they say, quote, endometrial implants. Like, uh, I'm sorry, what? They are not implants. Like. Somebody was like, okay, let's go in here and let's implant some endometriosis. Oh, hi, I'm retrograde menstruation. I'm just going to flow in there and just <laughs> sew some implants into your body. Hope you like them. They're my gift from me to you. I know it's probably not how they got there, but I'm going to say it is. <laughs> I hate that. Well, yeah, because implants implies implanted yes, from was put retrograde menstruation. Yes, and we call them lesions because it's better to say lesions because they are not implanted. Because implants have implication. Ooh. Ooh, that was but, a nice turn of phrase. I didn't
0: do that on purpose. <laughs> but lesions don't. They're just lesions. It's just like they're lesions, not like
1: from An implant rate. with implications is not what we want here. And they are not endometrial because they are not the endometrium. Are you sure? Yes. Are you really sure? I'm really sure. Yay! They are endometriotic lesions, not endometrial implants. I have no hair left at this point. I've actually ripped all of it out of my head and every other part of my body in my frustration. So I am like a dolphin at this point. Did you rip that out that was
0: another animal for Did you. you rip out your chin hairs from PCOS?
1: Oh yes. We, that was where I started. Those are the only ones that wouldn't come out. Yeah, they're actually I have to tweeze those out. I can't rip them out. Those would they're, not come out. They're, they're like, like we're anchored in, in my face. We're from testosterone. Yes. We're stuck. Yeah, forever.
0: It's just frustrating that so much of the information around endometriosis and hormones and, you know, what they do. And that's why we have so many myths is because so much of it is based on assumptions and misinformation and misleading studies. And we really need to look at the facts. And one of the facts that we know, like that's an actual fact, is that a person. So now we're going to move on to our next point about hormones is that a person can take hormones for decades,
1: decades.
0: And their endo can, first of all, and their endo still maintains its disease state. So like it doesn't go away, which is what we've just been harping on all this time. The endo stays, right? Even if you're on hormones. But also endometriosis can progress while you're on hormones. And that's not a theory. That's not a hunch. That's not an assumption. That is a proven fact fact that has been shown in studies and in actual patient experience.
1: Hashtag BACS!
0: So some of the small studies we just mentioned that were looking at the endometriomas and the dye lesions, the deep infiltrating nodules, while a person takes hormonal suppression has showed that some study participants had an increase in lesion volume while on hormones so although some of the people appeared to have a decrease in lesion volume which we just talked about reasons why that could happen others had an increase so we have proven evidence of endometriosis increasing in volume in multiple studies among many people taking hormonal medications And that is why it is so important to combat the popular myth that taking hormones will prevent your endometriosis from progressing. And as far as actual patient experience, excision surgeons see people every single day who have taken hormones for years. They see people who have taken birth control for 15 years. They see people who have taken birth control and had an IUD in at the same time. They see people who have done eight years of Lupron, even though the maximum amount that the FDA has approved taking Lupron for is one year with adback therapy. But some doctors have their patients on drugs like Orlis and Lupron for a very long time, much longer than it's been approved for. So they see people who have had years and years of birth control. They see people who have gone on birth control after their first period. And they've been on birth control for 10 years, and they have stage 4 disease. They have severe disease. They have bowel blockages. They have organs stuck together. So every single day, surgeons see people who have been on hormones for a very long time in some cases, and they have severe disease.
1: So that's cool and all, Amy. But let's talk about why that's important. It's important because I said it's important. It's important because you said it, I think, is what you were going
0: <laughs> It's important because I'm the one to share the information, and I only yes. share
1: important information. I know you do. Then why do you share so much information about your cats? Because that is prime important mm, information, no, Brittany. I'm going to have to disagree with you there.
0: Ooh. <laughs> Sick burn. <laughs> well, we can all agree that this information about endometriosis and how it can still progress when a person is taking hormones is indeed it is. important information. It is. I was just pulling. At least liked. in the eyes of the endometriosis patient, maybe someone who doesn't have endometriosis to be like, I don't care, and I'd be like, Well,
1: no, whatever. <laughs> why, why are you listening to this? Yeah, if then you don't why care? are you listening if you don't care? <laughs> Click off now, <laughs> please leave. Bye. It's important to know that endo can still progress on hormones because. If you have something like a lesion on your bowel, it could eventually cause a blockage. Doesn't mean it will. But it could. But it could. minded. Yeah. Living with a bowel blockage
0: is really fun. <laughs> no. From personal experience. It's I'll number just, one. Would do I'll again. I'll just let you know. It really makes number two difficult. <laughs>
1: yeah. Near impossible. <laughs> or maybe you have endometriosis on your ureters. It could eventually affect kidney function or could eventually cause silent kidney death. Not always, of course, like we said. But endometriosis is a serious disease. And (gasps) there can be serious consequences. Hold on,
0: because I feel like it doesn't get treated like a serious disease when you go to the doctor's office. But for
1: those of us that have it, and for those of us that love a person who has it, we know that it's a serious and complex disease. And because of that, there's serious and complex consequences for what happens in our bodies because of the disease.
0: Yeah, who loves living with serious, complex consequences? Yeah, I thought so. I <laughs> <laughs> thought, thought that was going to be silence. <laughs> Something happened to my, I can't hear any sound coming out. Yeah, no one's I agreeing. can't hear no anyone. No one's saying they
1: love it. Oh. <laughs> Before moving on, I also just want to clear up a misconception about progression. Just because your symptoms quiet down doesn't... Nah. Quiet that horse, please. I am. that Miss if man. you get a, a hold second. of your horses. Hold your yeah. horses. <laughs> Thank you. Just because your symptoms quiet down like Amy's horses does not mean that your endo isn't progressing. Your endometriosis can still progress even when you're asymptomatic. Sometimes we hear people say that they are on hormonal suppression and it's stopped their endo from progressing. And when you ask how they know their endo isn't progressing, they say they know because their symptoms went away. If your symptoms go away on a certain drug, that is amazing. Like honestly, we are oh, so happy for you. Wow, we are throwing you a party. Wonderful. <laughs> oh, symptom goodness. management working is wonderful. Oh. <laughs> that is what we want. We want symptoms managed. We want symptoms to stop torturing us. But your endo could still be progressing. There's no way for us to know that it's not unless you are having laparoscopies to see what the endo is doing inside of you. And we're not having those laparoscopies. <laughs> yeah, and, and as we've seen, even laparoscopic studies have flawed designs and can lead to misleading results when it comes to monitoring lesion size.
0: All right, Brittany, this is one that we commonly hear is that if you take these hormones post-surgery, it will prevent recurrence of endometriosis. Can hormones prevent recurrence post-surgery?
1: All right. So, no. Taking hormonal suppression does not prevent endo from recurring.
0: Misinformation. Misinformation, misinformation station. station. Yes. Misinformation. Misinformation.
1: Ah, oh, beautiful. Applause. <laughs> misinformation. Misinformation. <laughs> never gives up. <laughs> It's like the misinformation that never gives up. Yeah. It's like you that never gives up. <laughs> we want to give you information, not misinformation. It just gets worse. <laughs> Let your end no on hormones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It but we're not. It's right what you said, that some doctors actually insist that a patient go on hormonal suppression after surgery to prevent recurrence. Various studies following patients using post surgery hormonal suppression have shown that people using post surgery hormonal suppression can still have endometriosis recurrence.
0: Okay, hamster. If the answer is yes, I want you to run in the hamster wheel. And if the answer is not yes, I just want you to sit in the wood shavings like you're doing. And then they'll be like, all seeing hamster. The hamster <laughs> oh <my
1: gosh. laughs> ask the question. The hamster is listening. That'd be like, okay, hamster.
0: (laughs) If I take hormones, will it
1: prevent my endo from recurring? The little hamster going to run into those wood shavings so fast. (laughs) He's going to bury his head in the wood shavings. He's going to sit there and he's going to (laughs) go. For like 20 minutes making little hamster noises. Like, (laughs) no, you silly ghost. (laughs) I just look at you without blinking because I have no idea if hamsters blink.
0: It will just look at you with its hamster eyes. Its beady little hamster <laughs> eyes. It'll be like, how did you ask me a question? Hey, it's such I mean, an obvious answer. He gave
1: better medical information than I received from my first suite of doctors. So, <laughs> I, for one, vote for Mr. Hamster as the new president of ACOG, okay? Let's just put him in there.
0: <laughs> now, Hamster wants to point out that various studies have shown that endorecurrence rates are low in the hands of an expert. In the hands of an expert, very important, the surgical skill that the doctor has. In the hands of an expert, endometriosis only recurs in 7 to 15% of people, and that depends on the person, the surgeon's skill, as we talked about in great length in our episodes on excision surgery, the surgeon's training, and of course, it depends on persistence versus recurrence, which is persistence that the disease was not fully removed in the first place, therefore it persists. Or recurrence, which is when the disease is actually removed from the body and then comes back. But recurrence is not dependent on using or not using post-surgery hormonal suppression. So recurrence is not dependent on whether or not we use hormones after surgery. Various studies have shown that patients who had excision and did not use hormonal suppression after surgery were operated on sometimes later, and no endometriosis
1: recurrence was found. Okay, so just to make sure we're all clear. It's possible to have excision surgery, take post-surgery hormonal suppression, and have recurrence. Yes, the hamster is running rapidly on his wheel. (laughs) Squeaky, 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 squeaky. (laughs) Hamster's (laughs) like, yes,
0: you can take hormones and still have recurrence. Yes
1: but it's also possible to have excision not take post-surgery hormonal suppression and have no recurrence. Oh, the hamster is running so fast. There's a trail, <laughs> trail of
0: lightning behind him. He's broken his wheel.
1: He's the wheel's going It's gone over. rogue. <laughs> He's rolling across rolling the floor. down the table. <laughs> the cat's chasing him. Down the stairs they go.
0: <laughs> now, while post-operative medical treatment doesn't prevent Recurrence, some studies done on endometriomas suggest that taking hormones postoperatively can sometimes help to slow potential endometrioma recurrence for some people. And note that I'm speaking here specifically about endometrioma recurrence and not recurrence of superficial or deeply infiltrating endometriosis. So before we get too excited, we're like, oh, my goodness, if I take hormones, if I take post-operative medical suppression, then it can delay my time to recurrence. And before we get too excited, hamster's perked up, hamster's looking. Ready, Hamster's ready to go. got his little paws in the air. He's like, <laughs> what you going to say? Come on, give me the info. <laughs> the thing is that not all studies have shown the same results on post-surgery hormonal suppression, of course. <laughs> Studies are mixed. The studies are not all showing the same results. And so, some have found that post surgery hormonal suppression doesn't appear to play a significant role on post operative recurrence rates for endometriomas. Many studies are done on endometrioma recurrence versus other types of endometriosis because endometriomas often show on ultrasound compared to something like superficial endometriosis, which is typically not seen on an ultrasound or on an MRI. But one thing about looking at endometrioma recurrence is that we know that endometriomas actually have a higher risk of recurrence than other types of endometriosis, even when they're excised in the hands of an expert. So I want to mention that I wrote up a summary of a very interesting research article on endometrioma recurrence and oral contraceptives And I put that in the show notes today, so definitely check that out. When looking at studies, it's important to know that studies can have different limitations and methodologies. Sometimes those methodologies, so basically the study design, can be flawed, which can result in misleading data. Another thing with studies is that some studies define endometriosis recurrence as visualization of an endometrioma on an ultrasound or MRI, and other studies define endometriosis recurrence as the return of pain symptoms without actual visual or histological proof of endometriosis, which in my opinion, is quite different than actually like seeing endometriosis, for example, on an ultrasound because pain and other symptoms can return. Without the endometriosis lesions themselves actually recurring, pain coming back is not the same as endometriosis lesions coming back. And treating it as such skews the data. You know, not all pain is endometriosis pain. Another thing in the studies is that it's hard to know if complete or incomplete excision was done in the surgeries. Are patients having actual recurrence or are they having persistence? And there are also studies done that are quite old. And, you know, with good science, I mean, methodologies should hold up over time. But I think with endometriosis surgery, there is improved laparoscopic technology nowadays for visualization of endometriosis versus many years ago. So that can help surgeons see more disease and therefore remove more disease. So these are just things to show that studies have different limitations, they have different methodologies, studies use different types of hormones, studies have different follow-up periods, are they following up trying to see endometriosis recurrence six months after the surgery, one year after the surgery, two years after the surgery. They have different definitions, like we said, of what is endometriosis recurrence. And so all of that makes it difficult to draw general conclusions about endometriosis recurrence and especially what would be best for you, like would taking hormones be best for you in your particular situation or would it not be? We have no solid proof based on good research that hormonal suppression prevents recurrence of endometriomas or other types of endometriosis. But what we do have proof is that endometriomas and other types of endo can and do recur while patients are on hormones post-surgery. I think it's just really important to keep in mind that drugs are suppressive measures for symptoms, but not for the disease. Hormones don't prevent recurrence of actual endometriosis, but they can help manage symptoms in some people taking hormones post surgery can allow for post op healing which which some doctors offer their patients or it can potentially help with residual pain but taking hormones for those reasons is much different than a doctor saying to take hormones so that your endometriosis doesn't recur because endometriosis can still recur even while taking hormones and multiple studies have proven that
1: or to take hormones to supposedly kill off disease left behind because hormones do not do that. So what does that mean for us, then?
0: Yeah, what does that mean for us, Brittany? Summarize it. For us it. and the hamster. Yeah, summarize it for the good old hamster. I kind of want to change hamster's name to hemp stud muffin.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with hamster. The ham-stud. <laughs> Hamster's getting way too much cred. <laughs> too much hamster screen time. did not too much mic time for the hamster. <laughs> they don't deserve that.
0: Is this a hamster with endometriosis? In that case, we could pay attention. All right, fair. Okay. To the we hamster. hold space
1: for all creatures and beings with endometriosis on this podcast. Even if they have endometriosis given to them by scientists. I was about to say, even if they're mice who don't have real endo, we still <laughs> hold space for them here. Okay. Anyone who has real endo or not real endo, you're welcome. But for now, we will talk about why this matters and what it means for us. The decision to use post-surgery hormonal suppression is a personal one. Between you and your doctor and your hamster. Or just you (laughs) and your doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And some doctors insist that you should take it to prevent recurrence. But we know it doesn't prevent recurrence. And if all of your endo is removed, you may not even have recurrence since recurrence rates are only 7 to 15 percent after having excision with a surgeon who is highly skilled in excising endo. Also, if you're a person who has a lot of side effects and adverse reactions to hormones, you may be putting yourself through negative side effects for no potential benefits. I love how you broke that down for us, Brittany. It's a sad truth. I feel like that became much more clear to me. Another thing to keep in mind if you decide to use post-surgery hormonal suppression is that there is no magic hormone. Really? Yes. In Gosh, spite of I what your doctors like may
0: believe. There are some doctors who really believe that some of these hormones are the best of the best and the top notch. And they're like, you have to take this hormone. And they're really, It's going to be a
1: miracle drug. Yeah, some of them believe that. So what you're saying is that my doctor's
0: all up in my face. Probably not my face. They're probably sitting down. Being a little pushy or but a yeah, little like, oh, you better. they overly confident with the yeah, medication. Yeah, like, oh, you should take this to prevent. Or you have to take this. Yeah. Yeah. You must take this to prevent recurrence. It's like, mm,
1: first of all, We don't even know if I'm going to have recurrence. Did you do a good job, doctor? That's what I want to know. You're here pushing the hormones. If you're so sure that I'm going to (laughs) have recurrence, that speaks to your level of capability more than it does to my manifestation of the disease. Actually, doctor. You're here pushing the hormones, all right? Let me bring hamsters up in here. You know you didn't do a good enough job excising my endometriosis. Did you get all the endo or not? Because I'll take my chances with the 7 to 15 percent recurrence How many colors of endo are there, doctor? (laughs) How much do you know? (laughs) Do you know about the peritoneal pockets? (laughs) If they look at you confused, get out of there, run! (laughs) Well, you should do this pre-surgery, but also post-surgery is okay. (laughs) Well, the aim of post-operative medical treatment is suppressing ovarian activity. And this can be done via oral contraceptive pills rather than the GnRH drugs like Lupronor or Lyssa. In fact, oral contraceptive pills have a much lower side effect profile than something like a GnRH drug, And you can be on oral contraceptive pills for much longer than a GnRH drug, which you should only be on for a short period of time due to the side effects. So what you're saying is that we should
0: be wary of any doctor telling us that we have to take, that we must take, post-surgery hormonal suppression to prevent recurrence, or of any doctor telling us that we have to use a specific hormone. Correct. So it's our choice.
1: We don't have to feel pressure or feel pushed to take a medication. And I know when it's coming from a doctor, it feels like that's the only choice. But we don't have to feel pushed or pressured into taking a medication, especially if we're not sure that it's right for us. Sometimes it's really hard to say no to a doctor. <laughs> Absolutely. Sometimes I
0: was like, yeah, um, sure, I'll take that medication because they're really insistent and because in their mind, this is the right, this is the way, right? Like this is the endometriosis way. Baby Yoda comes in like, this is the way. Oh, Baby Yoda. If Baby Yoda was in my appointments with me, I'd be like, oh, little cutie. You want to operate on me, Baby Yoda? I concur. You little cutie pie, you get all, you, can you do get it. in my abdomen. And I know you can do it. <laughs> and you remove that endo. <laughs> Hamster and Baby Yoda are best friends. But basically, it's our choice. If we want to use hormones, and if we decide to use hormones, then... It's our choice what hormones we use. All right. We have a great quote from Baby Yoda. Just kidding. (laughs) I don't think. (laughs) It's actually from Sung Wei Gao, and it's an article from 2009, an article called Recurrence of Endometriosis and Its Control, which is a 2009 article by Sung Wei Gao, published in Human Reproduction Update. And we think this quote is really good to summarize everything that we just talked about because we know we give a lot of information. Plus, there was a hamster, plus, there was baby Yoda. So that could have got confusing. Quote Moreover, even if post operation medication proves to be effective in reducing recurrence risk, it is questionable if all patients would require such medication in order to reduce the risk of recurrence it has been reported that about 9% of people with endometriosis simply do not respond to progestin treatment, end quote. And then our final quote is, quote, therefore, so here's the big conclusion, therefore, their use of post-operation medication indiscriminately may cause unnecessary side effects and an increase in healthcare costs in some patients who may intrinsically have much lower risk then others, and in others who simply may, may be resistant to the therapy, the identification of high-risk patients who may benefit, who may benefit the most from drug intervention, would remain a challenge. End quote. You know, even if using hormonal suppression post-surgery proves to have some benefit to the patient, we don't know who it would benefit. You know, if a doctor is insisting like, oh, you should just go on hormones post-surgery, it's like, well, yeah, maybe it'd be cool to do for everyone if there was no side effects and adverse risks to taking post-surgery hormonal suppression. But, you know, for some of us, hormones make us feel horrible. They impact our mental health. That's why it's individual. And that's why it's a personal decision. And that's why everyone has to evaluate their own. Situation, but there's no one size fits all. And there's definitely no, you have to take this post surgery hormonal
1: suppression to prevent recurrence. I wanted to go back for a second to highlight something you said on that quote, which was in regards to the 9% of people who don't respond to progestin treatment. And I wanted to bring it up because we're actually going to go into it in the next week's episode. But that 9% number of people who don't respond to progestin is actually much higher. And some studies even quote that it's up to 30% of people who don't respond to progestin treatment. That's a very big difference from 9%. So I know we've talked for a bit about post-surgery hormonal suppression, but we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about pre-surgery hormonal suppression. Hamster is ready and got the ears perked (laughs) up. Perky up. (laughs) Perkity-duppity.
0: Hamster's like, give me the deets (laughs) or give me the hormones. Or don't give me the hormones. You're going to find out. Or run on my wheel. Hamster. Screaming. Running. (laughs) Can you imagine the poor hamster has a really bad visit with the doctor and wants
1: to run away screaming from the doctor, but But it's it's on on a hamster wheel? wheel? That's cruel. (laughs) That's how it feels sometimes, getting treatment in a medical system that exists the way it does, doesn't it? Like you're running on a hamster wheel, getting nowhere. Running around in circles. Yeah, That got too real. (laughs) 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 All right. So to talk about pre-surgery hormonal suppression. So some studies suggest that preoperative medical treatment seems to increase the risk of recurrence. And this is like when you're on hormones very close to your time of your
0: surgery. Yes. Not like,
1: I was on hormones once. (laughs) No, it means right up until surgery you are utilizing hormones. Yeah.
0: This is like pre-surgery as in
1: leading up to surgery. Like days, weeks. The reason why some studies suggest that preoperative medical treatment may increase the risk of recurrence is because hormone suppression before surgery might make it harder to see some of the endometriosis. Oh, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. Ooh, it's coming back. And if some lesions are too subtle to see during surgery, it's possible or even very likely, depending on the skill level of your surgeon, that they won't be removed. Ooh, 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 that's what Hamster's saying. Ooh, (laughs) ooh. Does the hamster want to know what else? Ooh. There's more hamster. I'm hamster. Just still I'm just still still stuck more? on the <laughs> I'm just stuck on
0: the preoperative hormonal suppression and how taking hormones prior to surgery can temporarily change the visual appearance of the disease. And that is literally exactly what we talked about some minutes ago when we talked about the Lupron and the Zolodex studies and how they were flawed. Because GnRH antagonists taken during or closely before a laparoscopy can make the lesions more subtle and more difficult to spot. Mm. And then disease can be missed. And what happens if disease is missed? He's still there. Disease
1: persists like the hamster on his wheel. Running, running, forever. Running, 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 running. So some surgeons actually prefer that their patients be off of all hormonal suppression prior to surgery. So if you're using hormonal suppression, that would definitely be a discussion you would have with your doctor about it. And some doctors actually even prescribe estrogen prior to surgery if the patient was on hormonal suppression. So this is something to keep in mind if you're a person who's taking hormonal suppression and you are getting ready for excision surgery. And these are things to discuss
0: with your doctor. So again, it's not one size fits all. So it's not like, oh my gosh, I was on hormonal suppression. And my surgery is coming up, so my doctor better put me on estrogen. It's all case by case and individualized, and it's going to depend on your case with your doctor. So definitely you want to speak to your excision surgeon about these instances. I mean, they're going to, you know, they're going to ask you, are you on hormones or not? And they're going to know what they prefer and what they do in the different situations. So these are
1: things to keep in mind and to bring up if they don't. A lot of the myths that we have regarding endometriosis and the treatment are because so much weight is put on the outdated theory of retrograde menstruation. Yeah, retrograde menstruation. Because so many doctors and researchers believe that endometriosis comes from the menstrual blood flowing backwards into our pelvic cavity and then attaching there and those bits of endometrium become endo. What if the hamster... Was sitting on the ovary and then wanted to run up
0: into the uterus through Mm -hmm. the fallopian tube and all that blood was going backwards because retrograde menstruation is a real thing. Yes. What's not a real thing is retrograde menstruation turning into endometriosis. You know what?
1: There's probably, okay, there's so much evidence against retrograde menstruation being the source of endo that for me it seems more likely that the hamster is the source of the endo than the retrograde menstruation at this point based on evidence alone. Okay. I have no evidence contrary that it's not a hamster. (laughs) But I do have evidence contrary that it's not retrograde menstruation. <laughs> the hamster's running up the fallopian tube and all this blood is gushing in the hamster's face. Yep. The little hamster, little
0: guys wearing goggles. would <laughs> be so cute. Little guys wearing goggles like, I'm going to get there. And the wave of cr- the, the actual crimson tide yes. is trying to knock this hamster over. And the hamster's like, I'm going to get there.
1: Oh, my. And then his non and everything. Yeah, but, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Let's have somebody you... study that. <laughs>
0: Do you feel like the theory of retrograde menstruation has so many holes in it? It's like been gnawed on by a hundred hamsters at this point, yes. and it's just like full of holes. It's like
1: the it's swissiest like a, Swiss cheese. It's like
0: a hamster was given a block of cheese and like, <laughs> mm. and that cheese was retrograde menstruation. Yeah, I agree with that. Scientists really like let go, embrace new things, embrace new ideas, open your horizons. But I think part of it is that what it comes down to is that general gynecologists, and by general gynecologists, you mean doctors who are not excision surgeons, doctors who are not seeing endo day in and day out, doctors who are OBGYNs, who are delivering babies, who are doing pap smears, who are doing, you know, other important OBGYN work that is not eat, sleep, live, and breathe endometriosis, they're not seeing a lot of endometriosis patients in their practice. So the endometriosis patient comes in and it's kind of like, ee! there's an endometriosis patient here.
1: And I really, mm, uh, Hmm, it's like, how do I treat this patient? Well out my tiny little toolbox. That's all I got. a Little <laughs> like itty bitty made for like toys toolbox. That's made what they for got. a hamster size. Yes, that's all they got. And it'd be really great in that if in that toolbox
0: they referred the patient to a more expert doctor in endometriosis, such as an excision surgeon. That could be the only thing in the toolbox. God, that would be be happy.
1: Gosh, that would be (laughs) a little button. They open the toolbox and it's a tiny little button that refers them to somebody (laughs) who actually knows what they're doing. That would be amazing.
0: But instead, in that tiny little toolbox, that tiny little toolbox is filled with what they've been taught, which is a miseducation about endometriosis you know, so many doctors are given a 20-minute lecture. They're taught that endo is the endometrium. I actually saw on Instagram, someone who I follow is studying to be a nurse, and she put up a post of her medical textbook and the chapter on endometriosis, and it literally said endo is the endometrium from retro-administration with a diagram showing the uterus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's all they got, folks. That's... That's why we have such a problem.
0: <laughs> in, this is 2021. And that was her textbook for the semester. And she has endo. And she was like,
1: uh, "I uh, wrong answer. Going to go cut that out of every book. You know, in some ways, <laughs> you you like, imagine,
0: almost. Can you imagine? You just open your medical textbook. And there's just a chunk missing. And there's just like five pages. They're probably not even five pages. A so paragraph they to endo. missing. They're just like you go and you cut in. And you cut it. What if you cut it out in the shape of a uterus? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So
1: like there's a hole in
0: this page and it kind of looks like the (laughs)
1: uterus. (laughs) I honestly in some ways think it would be better for that information to be missing and for them to learn nothing at all than for them to learn something that they take as absolute truth. It's actually more damaging to have misinformation than no information. What if
0: Brittany and I were teachers in some prestigious medical college and we were like, this is endometriosis one by one taught by Amy, Brittany and Hamster. (laughs) (laughs) the hamster draws the diagrams on the
1: chalkboard for us
0: (laughs) the hamster is like listening very carefully and if he hears anyone say that endo is the endometrium it just like runs over and nibbles on their ear
1: it's (laughs) still the end of the class no yep i like that idea
0: (laughs) (laughs) basically we have all these general gynecologists who don't have the skills That they need, the education that they need, the expertise that they need to treat this extremely complicated disease that is endometriosis. So they don't have the skills, they don't have the expertise, they don't know to refer because they're working with the information that they receive. They've been told by sources of misinformation. They have come to understand that, oh, when I have an endometriosis patient before me, my toolbox is hormones, especially Lupron and Alyssa. And we're going to talk about that in the episode on Big Pharma. But my toolbox consists of a hysterectomy, which we know is not a treatment for endometriosis, but that's what's in the toolbox of many doctors. So we have the hysterectomy, the hormones, or the whole period pain is normal. Well, guess or the, the gaslighting. I guess the
1: gaslighting is not in the toolbox. That, like, prevents the doctor from opening the toolbox. Yeah, the gaslighting is actually the lock on the toolbox. <laughs> they have to gaslight you a ton and misdiagnose you with anxiety without doing any kind of psychological workup in order to even get into the toolbox. <laughs> yes. So I guess props
0: to the doctor who actually opens the toolbox, even though the tools in the toolbox are not actually tools at all. Really outdated and to just thrown away. band-aids. Yeah. But props to the doctor who opens the toolbox and doesn't just dismiss you and turn you away for being hysterical.
1: What a door prize. (laughs) What
0: a perk. (laughs) Honestly, we have talked about this so many times, but every single time that I talk about this, I become infuriated. Because you know what? All this misinformation affects our lives. This is the reason why we can't get diagnosed for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. This is the reason why we have hysterectomies that are unnecessary in some of our cases, not all of our cases who've had a hysterectomy. But this is the reason why we are suffering on hormones or taking things like Lupron without being informed that there's potentially irreversible permanent side effects and then maybe we are suffering from those irreversible permanent side effects because the doctor just whipped out the things in the toolbox and was like this is what's in the toolbox and that toolbox should just be
1: thrown in the garbage it's not a toolbox it's a little box of band-aids it's a little box of torture devices (laughs) (laughs) it's a torture kit not a healing kit." I just, thought the oath was first, <laughs> "do no harm." What was what was that about? What if they just opened the toolbox and like fifty hamsters came out? <laughs> fifty tiny itty-bitty grain of rice-sized hamsters. I'll take that toolbox. That's fine. Now it's my turn to be a little incensed, okay? And mine is going to be catapulted off of the question as to why we're trying to combat misinformation about hormones. Yeah, Brittany, tell us why. Because hormones aren't sugar pills. They don't have no effects. Hormonal suppression has effects on our bodies, serious ones. Whether it be an oral contraceptive pill or Lupron or Dianagest, hormones do affect our bodies in a serious way. Many people find Lupron to be intolerable or they regret taking it after long-term symptoms appear. Others find that oral contraceptive pills or progesterone severely affects their mental health to a point where it causes them to have clinical depression or anxiety. Hormones that put you in a low estrogen state, all those can affect your bone mineral density. That's serious. Depending on the hormones and how it affects the individual user, people can have thinner bones that break more easily in older age, or nutrient depletion, or blood clots that actually cause them to lose their lives, or can cause suicidal ideation or behavior. And that isn't to scare everyone and say, okay, I'm feeling, don't take hormones, it's bad. <laughs> I'm feeling scared. <laughs> don't, we're not saying that. Hamster's <laughs> cowering inside of my... We're all cowering a little He's bit right now. He's cowering
0: inside of my shirties between my boobs, which don't... You know, they're not big, so they don't touch.
1: So he's like, there's a lot of space. I'm not feeling safe right now. You be comforted. Let Drop him in here. I'm going gonna I'm gonna to
0: push, push him. Let me put him in Brittany's. Brittany's I got less room. Um, it's more comfortable in here. Hamster's like,
1: I'm hot and I can't fit. I'm suffocating. I want to go back to the cafe. Good luck. Yeah, we're definitely not saying that you should be scared or all hormones are bad. That's definitely not true. Hormones help many of us in this community with our symptoms, Amy and I included. And many people rely on hormones in order to improve our pain and our symptoms and to have a better quality of life. So we're really thankful for hormones. We're really thankful for what we know and that they're available for us to take. We're thankful that some of them can provide birth control if that's important to us. We're thankful that some can help relieve endometriosis symptoms for some of us. But we want to make sure that people taking them know the limitations, know the potential dangers, know what they actually can do and what they cannot do, despite what doctors tell us. Hormones are given out like they're candy, like they're a band-aid that you can slap on any problem that's wrong with a person with reproductive organs. And that comes from a long history which involves a lot of misogyny and systems of oppression that we still live in today.
0: Well, speaking of misogyny and multiple systems of oppression around birth control, I actually watched a really interesting documentary called The Business of Birth Control. And it was an hour and a half. And I'll put a link in the show notes today on our website in 16 years.com. But it was very interesting. And I felt really sick to my stomach. Like I just felt really infuriated as I watched the documentary because. It's about the business of birth control and how, you know, birth control is this business. I want to read a quote that's from the website of the business of birth control. And the quote is by Badantri Chowdhury, who is a culture journalist and documentary film professional. And Badantri says, quote, there can be no real gender justice without an unpacking of the power structures surrounding the reproductive health industry complex and of the choices that the market pushes on women. Abby Epstein's latest documentary highlights the dark history of eugenics and underfunded research that the birth control pill, often heralded as a feminist turning point in the history of reproductive rights, hides within itself. End quote.
1: And of course, this quote directly uses the word women, but we want to acknowledge also the film acknowledged at the beginning that this affects more people than just women and not everybody that is affected identifies as a woman.
0: I do recommend that documentary. I thought it was really interesting. So if that interests you or you want to learn a little more about the history of birth control, then definitely recommend that. And I think for me, it just really highlighted how we are not taught body literacy and how hard it is to get information Information should be out there. And instead, the information that we're getting is, oh, yeah, here, take birth control. It's great for everything. And there are no side effects when there are side effects. Well, and to bring that back to hormones with endometriosis, let's present a real-life situation. So let's say that you know that progestins make you feel depressed and anxious. You've been on progestins before, and they just made your mental health tank and feel horrible but your doctor says oh you need to go on ex progestin because they often like as we'll learn about in the episode with big pharma like you know certain brands have really been marketed to these doctors so they like oh you need to go on this specific medication that you've been on before that you don't like that you know has negatively affected your health and the doctor says well you need to go on this medication for a year post-surgery to prevent recurrence." And your doctor says that this medication is going to prevent recurrence if you go on it, right? Which is not true, but the doctor said that. And, you know, you don't know that's not true because why would you? Because your doctor is there giving you medical advice, incorrectly, but why would you question that? Why do we have to listen to a podcast or scour the internet to find information <laughs> about what the doctor, if what the doctor is saying is true or, or not true? Like, that's just, that should not be the way it is. So you look at the situation and you weigh your options and you're like, okay, these are the risks and these are the benefits. So my risks is that the hormones affect my mental health. And I don't want that because last time I was on the medication, it was really awful, like so awful. But the benefit is that it'll prevent recurrence for endometriosis. And I really don't want to have recurrence for endometriosis because endometriosis is horrible and I have all these pain, I have all these symptoms. So you know what? I'm just going to do it for a year. I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to take the hormones for a year even though I don't really want to and I'm probably going to have those awful side effects that I really didn't tolerate well but I'm going to do it because that'll be better than have my endometriosis come back. So you make this decision based on the information that you have which is incorrect information from your doctor and you put up with these side effects because you think it's going to treat your disease but hormones don't treat the disease. And you can see how millions of us every single day are put in situations like this where the doctor is, you know, dangling that carrot in our face. And there we are. We're the hamster. And we're like, we d- I just want to feel better. I'm just hungry for <laughs> feeling better, please. Like, I'm desperate to feel better. Like desperate. I remember before my surgery, I was desperate to feel better. And I was reading the pamphlet for Lupron. I was like, OK, I guess I could put up with menopausal symptoms because that has to be not as bad as my endopain. Well, for a lot of people, it is just as bad as their pain, or worse than their pain. You know, and that could be okay if you're like, well, I could just go off the pill. But in some of these cases, like, for example, with Lupron or other drugs, there could be serious long-term side effects. And if you're not aware of them, how are you going to make an informed decision?
1: So just like we gave a too-long-didn't-listen in the beginning, what we're going to do is give a Still too long, but actually listened summary.
0: <laughs> of the episode. We're gonna give up brain fog summary. So
1: if you were listening, you had brain
0: fog, you're like, I'm not sure if I retained anything that they talked about except the fact that baby Yoda was there and there was a hamster. <laughs> Relatable. If that's the fact <laughs> that's fine. If that's that's, that's all case. we retained too. We were like, Oh, <laughs> hamsters are cute. There's, There's a, a hamster Yoda's cute <laughs> running up my fallopian tubes and little glasses on. Yep. So
1: that's, that's all we retained. So you're fine <laughs> if you're there. So I'm gonna give you a still long but listened need a summary, okay? The summary is that hormonal medication for endometriosis may help our symptoms. Symptom management only. It's not for everyone. The benefits may not outweigh the risks for you. The pros may not outweigh the cons for you. Hormonal medication does not diagnose or treat any kind of endometriosis at any stage in any progression. I'm nodding so hard right now.
0: I am just nodding. My head is rolling around. I'm starting to get dizzy from how much I'm nodding.
1: I can corroborate. She is nodding. So not only does it not diagnose endo, hormones do not remove or permanently shrink existing growths. Endo can still progress while you're taking hormones. And hormones do not prevent recurrence. And hormones are not
0: one size fits all. And there is not one magical hormone, the one magical hormone
1: that's going to do it for you. No, that's called marketing. And hormones are not sugar pills without their heavy risks. And one size is not fits all. Hormones are not a default for post, post-surgery. They're not a default at any point in your treatment. You don't ever have to take hormones or maybe you would like to. But regardless, the choice lies with you, and it's important for us to be equipped with all of the knowledge about what hormones can and cannot do in terms of the endometriosis in our bodies. And with that knowledge in mind, we're able to make the most informed decision possible when it comes to taking a hormonal medication. So
0: next week, we want to talk about hormones more, more about hormones. We want to go over the different types of hormones, oral contraceptive pills, progesterone progestins generates drugs we want to talk a little bit about efficacy and types and side effect profiles so we want to just dig a little deeper into that so we want to leave you with a question today if you could choose between a hamster running up your fallopian tubes or a hamster nibbling on your peritoneum um which one would you choose? Uh,
1: they both sound terrible. <laughs> is there a, a neither option? Is there a just hold and pet the pan- hamster and make <laughs> make the hamster feel nice? What is that option? You're like, hey, little <laughs> hamster, you're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> Don't run out my fallopian
0: tubes or nibble my peritoneum. What question do you want to ask the hamster? If the hamster runs on the wheel, the answer is yes. And if the hamster buries its head in the wood shavings, the answer is
1: no this Groundhog Day hamster.
0: <laughs> so thank you so much for listening to our episode today. We're on Instagram at in 16 Years of endo. We're on the website In16Years.com and all the sources that we use in our episode, which was many sources with really great reading about hormones and articles from 2019, 2021. So, you know, up-to-date recent research articles and reviews of research articles is there if you want to check out everything that we talked about today and read it for yourself, which we highly encourage. Thanks so much for listening.